Okay, what's what's the deal today? So today is the epiphany, and, and this, uh, in, in many ways, wraps up the, the, the Christmas season. So nor, depending, on, depending on the day that we celebrate, so traditionally we know that the day of epiphany was celebrated on January 6th. And then uh, the church made it something of a movable day so that we just celebrate it the Sunday after the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God, uh, so which is January 1st. So the Sunday after that, which could be anywhere from January 2nd to today, January 8th, depending on when that day falls, when Christmas falls. Um, and then depending on when that is, if the epiphany is any time between the 2nd and the 6th, there's another Sunday called the baptism of the Lord. But when today the epiphany is on the 7th or the 8th, today is the 8th, um, then the baptism of the Lord is, is not, it doesn't get a Sunday. Um, so next Sunday will be the second Sunday in ordinary time, when on many other years, it would be the Sunday of the baptism of the Lord. It's, it's kind of confusing, I understand. It is even for us. Actually, I have a group text with some priest friends, and we're, we're texting back and forth because the, the, the rubrics of, of what the church asks us to pray as priests is a little bit unclear, actually. And so we're like, what, what's the deal with this? Especially some of us younger priests who weren't around in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, and we're, we're trying to figure out like why why did the church do this? And we're, we're not really sure. But but nonetheless, this year, this day is the last day of the Christmas season for us, and 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 so for us, what what, what I'm what I've been kind of convinced of during the Christmas season is is that the the church and because the church, so too God Himself, wants us to let ourselves be caught in the mystery. You know, these, these stories that we hear, the Christmas story, um, even the gospel we heard last Sunday, you know, the, the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God, when, when uh, the angel comes to visit um, Mary, uh, or, or excuse me, when the shepherds come to visit Mary and, and, and they see this and, and all these different things take place. And now, of course, this very famous story of the Magi visiting Jesus um, and offering the gifts of gold, frankincense, and these, these stories, they're, they're so familiar to us that I think many times we can hear them and we can just sort of think like, oh yeah, I know this one. So I, I don't actually have to listen that hard, right? Like I don't have to pay attention because I know the story. But, but what I think the Lord wants us to do, and, and maybe you've heard, I'm sure you've heard me suggest this before, that sometimes, especially when it comes to the very familiar passages, it can be really helpful for us to actually ask God for a grace to forget to forget what we think we know about a passage or even things that we definitely do know about a passage to just like forget about it so that as we hear it, in some ways, it's like we're hearing it for the first time. So, so that it can be like we're, we're actually there when the Magi visit and, and we're seeing the mystery play out before us so that, so that ultimately we can be in this place of wonder and awe, you know, of like, what? What in the, you know, so like one, one basic thing here. So we heard from the prophet Isaiah in our first reading. And at the end of the prophet Isaiah, right? So the Lord is prophesying through Isaiah this, this incredible gift that, that for his people, what the light of God himself is going to shine upon them, right? And these are people who at this time were in a place of exile. So they were away from the Lord and away from, from the land that he had given to them. And so they were actually in a place of great darkness and misery, which the, 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 the reading mentions um, but what's going to happen is the Lord's glory is going to shine upon them, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a, a promise that God is giving to them, a promise of great hope, 
Right? Like, yes, right now, you are away from me. You're being punished by me. But, but in a moment, it's like he's saying, in a moment, I'm going to restore you and lift you out of this punishment so that, so that you can be made whole, you can be made healthy again. It's this incredible promise. And, and one of the signs that they're going to see of when this promise is fulfilled is that these other nations, people from other countries are going to come and they're going to visit you and they're going to offer what? They're going to bring gifts of gold and frankincense. Right, so we heard this reading. And so then for us, when we hear the story of the Magi, right, because it's so familiar to us, we can think like, oh yeah, like, of course, you know, that's, that's how it goes. But I think it's just so important for us to remember the book of the prophet Isaiah was written something like 700 years before Jesus was born. Maybe more, actually. But just to think about this. So the Lord promised gold and frankincense were going to be brought as a sign that the Lord's glory was shining upon his people. And then it took 700 years for that promise to be fulfilled. But then when it was fulfilled, that was the sign, right? So like, to just try to imagine being there in that moment. You know, Mary and Joseph, we, we know that, you know, as the story goes, we know that they had already been visited by angels, and, and so they had their, their sort of moments of epiphany, their, their moments of, of Jesus being revealed to them. But, but still to imagine just being there and, and watching it all unfold and seeing these foreigners come who you, you have no idea who they are. You just know that they look differently than you, and and they come, right? And we'll talk about how far they come from, but, but they're coming, and as they come, what do they do? They prostrate themselves, they lay down, which for those people was a sign of worship, right? So and in fact, so in, in our, our, um, our gospel, it says, we saw his star at his rising and have come to do him homage. A more literal translation of this is, we saw his star at his rising and have come to worship him. Who do you worship? You, you only worship People who are superior to you. Or, or more than anything, who do you worship? You worship God. And so, so for these people to like, come and say, we've come to worship your baby, your child. It's just like, what, what mystery is unfolding before us? This is incredible. You know, and again, because, because this can become so familiar to us, it, it can just, in some ways, it can be lost on us. Again, to try to enter in as though you've never heard this story before, like something incredible is happening. And then when they open these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right, these, these are signs that are fulfilling the prophecy from 700 years ago. And we, we don't know how these guys heard about Jesus. We don't know how they understood that the stars were going to align in such a way that, that they had to come to, to visit now. We don't, we don't know how they, they came to understand that they should bring these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, but, but somehow, by God's grace, they knew this. It was revealed to them. They had an epiphany, a revealing where, where suddenly everything became clear to them, and they knew that they had, to, they had to get on their camels and they had to travel. It wasn't something like like what we can do today, you know, where, where suddenly something comes up and we just hop in our cars and, you know, we travel for a little bit. No, like this was something that somehow they, they knew and, and so they planned and so they, they came from a long distance away and they offered these gifts. And what's more, right, the mystery, it, it, it continues to expand more and more and more. What's more is that these gifts, they have meaning to them. 
you know, for, for me, I, th I think about this in my own life, like receiving gifts isn't, it's not really like my favorite thing in the world because I try to, I try to live a simple life. And, but, but, but when someone offers me a gift that has meaning or value to it, then I'm much more inclined to receive it. And so, so for, for Jesus, right, who comes to us poor, who is, who is God among us coming to us poor, he receives these gifts, not just because they're random gifts, but because these gifts have meaning to them. They value. What's, what's the meaning and the value underneath them? Well, we, we can look at it and ask. What are they offering? Gold. Well, who do you give gold to? A king. Right? So they see, they see in Jesus, not just another child, but they see in Jesus a king who's worthy of receiving this costly gift of gold. What, frankincense. What is frankincense? Well, some of us, we know this, right? That sometimes at Mass, we use incense, right? So frankincense, frankincense, this is, this is a gift that was used to offer worship to who? To God. So again, when they see Jesus, this child, they don't see just another child. They don't, they don't even just see just another king. They see a king, but they see a king who is also God. The frankincense, it's, it's a sign. It's, it reveals the divinity of Jesus. So it's, it's no wonder that they come and the first thing they do before they even open the gifts, the first thing they do is they prostrate themselves to worship him because, again, he's not just an ordinary baby, but he is God himself who has come down among us. For, the, for these, these magi, they, they see this. The, the epiphany of the Lord is that, is that their vision becomes clear. And so because their vision has been made clear, they see, I have to offer him gifts that are only fit for him, worthy for him. The gold that, that is fit for a royal baby and the, the, the incense that is fit for a God baby. And then there's this strange gift that wasn't prophesied in Isaiah, this gift of myrrh. And this, this very gift, what is myrrh? Well, myrrh actually was, it was an oil that was used to anoint somebody after they had died. It had a pleasant fragrance to it, so that as you were burying somebody who had died, you wouldn't smell the stench of their body decaying, but instead their body would be covered with this beautiful fragrance so that, so that it, it wouldn't be unpleasant to be in the presence of their dead body. And so in some ways, again, we don't know how it happens, but God's grace has made known to these magi that this baby, this king, this God, baby was going to die and that his death somehow would need to be mentioned in these gifts. And of course, we know this after the fact, right? We know that after the fact, it is ultimately only through the death of Jesus that he can bring this light of God into the world. It is ultimately only because Jesus dies for us on the cross that he can then actually unlock for all of us a new kind of life so that as you and I experience the consequences of sin, which ultimately leads to death, because we believe in Jesus and because we follow his ways, we don't have to fear death. And so the myrrh that he offers, that they, that they offer to him, is actually, it's a great gift of hope. To me, I think, actually, the myrrh is... In, in some ways, I can see it being the most important of the gifts. Now, they're, they're all super important, right? Because 
Jesus' death is worthless if he's not God. Jesus' death is worthless if he's not the king of the universe. But ultimately, it's his death and his resurrection that make that gift known. This is why actually like, I, was, I wanted to sing all of the verses of that song that we sang at the beginning, We Three Kings, because, because it's that last verse that points to, look, now he rises. Now he rises. Right? And this is all the mystery that's unfolding before us. And so for these guys, right, for these, these kings, they see it all. And, and it's all revealed to them who Jesus is. And it's meant to be revealed for us as we see them. That's, that's the primary meaning of this great feast of the epiphany, of this manifestation, of this revealing of who Jesus is. But, but there's also this other aspect that I see as revealed, and, and this other aspect is their faith. Their faith in this baby Jesus. Think about this. These magi, they come from hundreds of miles away. I, I looked at different, different sources online, and it seems like there's a difference of opinion about how far they traveled. But it seems like everyone understands that they at least traveled literally hundreds of miles. One source suggested that maybe it was even up to 1,200 miles that these magi traveled on camelback. Right? So not a, not a pleasant journey and not a quick journey. But they made this trip hundreds of miles over the course of maybe weeks, over the course maybe of months, just simply to have a moment with this God baby, to offer him these gifts. And to me, that shows, that shows such beautiful faith. And, and this, 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 you guys, is maybe where we get to like a second part of the homily. Uh, there, there's this first part where we, we gotta let ourselves be caught up in the mystery. And to see that the mystery is so incredible and so beautiful and, and that hopefully it doesn't become old news for us, but that it's something that is always new, always fresh for us. But then this other part is, is, is that, I mean, I think by this, this point, you know me well enough to understand that there's a challenge coming because there's almost always a challenge coming, right? This challenge is this, that when we see the faith of these magi, it's in so many ways, it's meant to kind of turn back on us and ask ourselves the question, do we have the same faith? Because these magi, they didn't actually, like, they didn't have the benefit that we have of seeing everything in hindsight. Right, there's that phrase, hindsight is twenty-twenty. So in some ways, our understanding and our vision of Jesus, and so therefore our faith in him in so many ways should be even stronger than their faith was because they didn't have the benefit of hindsight. And so for us, we, we got to kind of, it forces me, and in some ways I think it ought to force all of us to ask this question. These magi were willing to travel hundreds of miles just to have a moment visit with Jesus. What kind of sacrifice am I willing to make? You know, sometimes as, as pastor, when I hear about people, this is just a, an example, maybe a couple examples. As pastor, when I hear about people going on vacation, great, whatever, I want to ask the question when they get back, like, oh, what church did you visit when you, when you were on vacation? I want to ask that question, but I fear asking that question because I know that many times, and I know it's not the case universally, but I know that many times 
People will say to me, oh, Father, we didn't make it. It was just too inconvenient. Father, it was, it was too far to get to Mass. And so I don't ask the question. Because if you don't want to know the answer, you don't ask the question. And so for me, when I hear about the Magi traveling hundreds, maybe, maybe over a thousand miles, just to get a moment with Jesus, I then look at my faith and I say, what about those times in my life when I just say the sacrifice is too inconvenient? Or, you know, like I ask people, like, how's, how's your prayer going? Wow, Father, I'm, life is just too busy. I don't have time to pray. These magi traveled hundreds of miles to get just a moment with Jesus. And are you and I not willing to make a little extra sacrifice to be with him? And what's more, when they came, what did they offer? They didn't offer random gifts. They offered meaningful, costly gifts to the Lord Jesus. Gifts of gold, right? Gold is not cheap. Frankincense and myrrh, these were gifts that had meaning behind them because somehow, by God's grace, they understood who Jesus is. And so they wanted to offer him gifts that were fit for him. And again, I look at my own life and sometimes I look at the lives of the people who, who are in the pews, people that, that sometimes I, don't, I maybe don't know certain aspects of your life and so maybe I, I don't see the, the costly gifts that you're giving him. But again, I also know that most Christians just simply don't offer Jesus anything. And so again, it's, it's, it's a moment that's challenging for me perhaps as much, maybe even more so for you, because I see again, as I've spoken about before, I see the great responsibility of what it is to be a religious leader in, in so many ways to set the example for the people. I understand that. But I think we all have to let ourselves feel a little bit uncomfortable about this because the mystery is just so great and it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. And even in the midst of the mystery, I and you don't always offer a fitting response. And so we have to let the Magi challenge us a little bit. But now the, the beauty of this, you guys, is this, is that we're still alive and we're still breathing and maybe, maybe the mystery can come alive to us in a new way. And if that's the case, then we can simply, we can pause and we can let our lives actually change and say, Jesus, I don't know that I saw you clearly before, but now I think I'm beginning to see a little bit more clearly. And so I'm willing, Jesus, I'm willing and eager actually to make a sacrifice for you. I'm willing and eager, Jesus, to travel, whether it's literal distance or, or spiritual distance or metaphorical distance, Jesus, I'm willing to travel just to get a moment with you so that I can offer you fitting worship and fitting gifts that are fit for you who are king and who are God, fit for you, whose death will ultimately lead me into life in eternity.